after fire. Four blocks away, I got a visual on the apartment building. Can you upgrade this to a third alarm? This is the working part. We were unable to make that rescue. We're making a rescue now on the Alpha side. Welcome to another edition of Undercover Mental Health. On today's show, we have a 32-year veteran battalion chief, a 31-year assistant chief. It's four in the morning. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Holy 409. Fuck. Oh, my God, Dave. Why are you wearing a turtleneck at four in the morning? <laughs> I'm in England. It is right 409. Are you, you're crazy. <laughs> are you guys all in the same hotel room? That sounds fun, I guess. So are you going back to bed after this? I'll try to. Should have looked. I feel bad now. You were a captain in one of the busiest fire departments in Canada. Why is having fun and joking around important? Well, the four of us know that. I remember for us being off there together at Hall 1, and the captains coming in and just looking at us and shaking their heads, remember? Like, pretty serious guys, you know, and except they just got sick of us acting like idiots all the time. You know, there's no doubt when you think back, that was pretty awesome and you know like enough that you guys asked me to come and join this thing at four in the morning and of course I'm going to do it for you guys and that's kind of uh, the essence of teamwork isn't it you know like when you have fun together and you know you do that sort of I don't know maybe you call it a bonding experience I don't know but we used to have so much fun I remember wrestling and fighting and and uh, after dinner we'd grab our whatever was dinner was left would was precious we even wouldn't eat all our dinner just so we'd have some left over so we could throw it at each other during the fight that happened that night but yeah i think that you become pretty good and, and so that when you go to a call you've got a maybe a, a mindset of more supporting each other maybe i don't know or or got each other's back for sure and you know i think the answer would be along those lines right I always found that the busier haul you were at, the more you would accomplish as a crew. Like you'd get your drills done quicker you, because you knew you were going to be busy. But then you're the, the when I was at busy halls, we had more fun. We, we needed to blow off some steam. And I, I think, and you, you'd go to a, a slow haul and it was pretty dead and nobody really did anything. But you go to a busy haul and, you know, practical jokes are being played. We'd come back from a commercial structure fire at 3.30 in the morning, and we'd been busting our ass for like five hours. And then we would throw flour on someone, and, and we'd be wrestling, and it was like we were yeah. like children. Chris was a little bit weak back then, too, remember? Like, he was kind of a twiggy little guy, and it was kind of fun to push him around and sit on his chest. Twiggy. He's not twiggy anymore. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever think he'd become a chief? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In Canada, every Wednesday night at 6.49, there was a draw. Uh, do you yeah. know what I'm talking yeah. about? Uh, so there was a lottery do. draw that was yeah. on TV at 6.49. That is probably okay. one of the best practical jokes in fire department history. That went too far. <laughs> no, it was awesome. Yeah, I know. So I was supposed to get you guys. Uh, that was the plan. Was uh, That's when we were all working together, which is kind of ironic, Steve, because you actually ended up winning the lottery one day. But that was I was practicing that at Hall 13 to get you guys. So I somehow I cooked up this idea and I did it to Nancy. I did it in a newspaper. 
because they always publish the winning tickets in the paper. I bought those numbers during the week and then the Sunday morning or Thursday morning or whatever it was, I slipped the page in with the right numbers on it. And then of course I asked Nancy to check the numbers, but I only did five out of six of the numbers because I didn't want to go for whatever reason. And so she wasn't really sure what, uh, what we'd won or anything. It kind of, it kind of flopped a little bit, but after that, it, I kind of got this VCR idea. That's when back when we had VCRs, right? So you could take your uh, VCR, that tape, and you could record the 649 happening, the whole ball drop, and then the numbers would roll out in one number at a time, right? So I recorded it, and I brought it into work and was the captain. Nice fellow. I was pretty junior too, right? So I didn't want to get him and I needed one person to be in on it too. Captain was uh, kind of nearing retirement, salty, loud guy. At that point, I didn't want to be in on his bad side because he could make life a little bit miserable if you were, if somebody was. So uh, he was in on it and I needed somebody to be in on it. So at, at Hall 13, they had a TV in a corner of this great big room it's got the uh, the TVs in one corner of a big room, and there's a big there's a couch and pool tables and stuff like that. And um, in the TV had used to be in the other corner. So what they've done is when they renovated the room, they just uh, added on a cord VCR cord to go all the way to the other room. I took my VCR with the tape, and I inserted it into that spot on the far end of the room in that far corner 648 i said hey captain we need to play the 649 and because i'd recorded it i had bought the winning tickets during the week so now it's time for the 649 but i've inserted my vcr in the this which is a second vcr not the actual one but i've plugged it into the far corner and so he holds up the remote because remember you had to have it on channel three back then to make the vcr work so he pretends to hit three. I push the tape in and hit play, and it jumps from the TV to the tape. I bought the winning tickets from the week before that I had recorded on the VCR, and I had the tape. When I plug it in, instead of today's numbers playing on the TV, it's last week's numbers playing that I had purchased. So we're watching. Back then, there was five on the crew. And, uh, and the captain's in on it and me and the other three guys don't know. So the junior guy, he's kind of going to pay attention. He's the one that's going to record the numbers and nobody else really ever paid attention because we never really won. Right. But anyways, he's going to track the numbers. So, so the balls start dropping, the numbers, you know, are coming up and of course we get one number and Hey, that's great. You know, cause normally you're happy if you get one number, we got two and I think you win 10 bucks if you get three or something. So now we're at least we're winners because it's more than most people ever do. And of course it keeps going on and on until we get all six numbers. And it's just a, an unbelievable, massive celebration. Now, you know, tables are overturned and coffee being spilled and, you know, and it's, everyone's having a great time and it's the easiest prank in the world because you don't have to keep a straight face. I'm smiling and, and the captain's there smiling. He's in on it too. And it's, it's awesome. We're taking pictures in the truck bay. And I wish I had those pictures. That was back when it wasn't digital. It was a camera. The captain brought his camera in because he knew 
and his his pictures didn't turn out or something. They, we never got the pictures. That would have been good to get those. Anyway, so it goes on for 21 minutes. And now it's time to tell them that uh, we didn't win. And that was, I realized at that point, like it's not funny anymore. <laughs> so the one guy had phoned and to somebody to double check the numbers. And he's a, he was the lieutenant that night. So he phoned to double check. And I picked up the other line and said, hey, just so you know, it's, this is a practical joke. We didn't actually win. He thought it was funny. He had a, got a kick out of it and ha ha ha. And he's kind of a fun loving guy anyways. But the other two guys, one um, is a Chinese guy and gambling is a big deal for his family. And he had phoned his wife and she had phoned back to Hong Kong. Like now it's starting to gather steam, right? <laughs> and uh, so that was happening. And the other guy, his dad was a battalion chief. And so he phoned his dad and his dad was in a, uh, in a box watching the hockey game and typical firefighter, you know, pretty cheap guys. And uh, I guess some pizza showed up. He paid for the whole thing of pizza and he ordered a case of wine. Definitely shelled out some money. So now it's time to tell them. And when I go to show them, they don't believe me because they're walking up to the original VCR and I'm saying it was a tape. And I was trying to explain it. I still remember one of the guys po poking his finger into the VCR, the one that wasn't used, saying, there's no tape in here. <laughs> and now I'm realizing this was supposed to be for you guys. This would have been fun. This would have been perfect and fantastic. I've gotten some, some poor victims. <laughs> They're not practical jokers really or anything. It's just, and all I was doing was practicing for you guys. So the one guy phones his dad at the hockey game and he cancels the wine. <laughs> he puts the brakes on hold, everything. So he, at least he didn't pay for the wine too. And he goes, tell Dave, he got me too. And I don't want to get that guy. I don't want to mess with those guys. <laughs> and then the other guy phones his wife back and I can hear all this Chinese and his head's hanging down and he finishes the phone call and he gets up. He's got the phone, like it's one of those uh, punch button phones, you know, those old style. He's got it in his hand and he takes the phone and he smashes it on the ground and he looks at me and he says, I have a black heart for you. And he goes through the trunk and oh my goodness, like this is just going south. This, is, this isn't what I had planned. This is not a funny practical joke at this point. Uh, goes out in the truck bay and, and he's out there just steaming. And, uh, and anyways, it was definitely those guys bought it. And, uh, and we had a call at three in the morning and they were both wide awake. And then I talked to, to the one guy about seven years later and he said you know Dave I, I've tried for about five years to come up with a way to get you back but everything I thought of the only thing I always end up with you getting hurt <laughs> he never was a good sport about it and we did we all laugh about it later boy oh boy that night because you guys deserved it they didn't deserve it they were just innocent victims that's one of the best jokes I've ever heard. And we did, we did deserve it. One of the reasons that's important about this podcast is because fun seems to be gone. Joking seems to be gone. And I don't know why. And everybody's afraid. Italian chief here said it's because one joke went bad and the whole department shut it down. 
I don't know if that's it. I think the new breed of people, like you said, is more worried about fitness and nutrition than they are about having fun. And I, I think we had fun every day. I only had one bad year in, in my whole career in that department. And I got almost two decades in there and it was all about goofing around with the crews. And I worked with people that I, you know, I didn't really appreciate and didn't like, but I certainly had fun with them at the same time. Maybe it's the leadership thing. Maybe it should be part of the officer's course. Uh, the importance of bonding and having a good time together and because it is a good thing. It really it really makes a crew better, I think, if, if they're bonding and, and getting along and supporting each other. I, I definitely think it makes a better better service to the community if somehow if people can really have a good time. So maybe it's not a bad thing to cut a bit loose now and then, but I don't know how it happens. Maybe that's a good challenge for the leadership to find a way to somehow get that back and get it going. Maybe you need to put on fun clinics. You guys can go around and uh, goof around and <laughs> have fun while you're at it. But I don't know. We're on a speaker's tour. It's called Dysfunctional Leadership. <laughs> yeah. And maybe as you get older, like for me, you know, you start to, uh, I don't know, maybe mature. I don't know. Or is it a leadership thing? Like, the, you know, when you think about back then, we had a three-man crew. There was there was two on the tower and three in the truck, remember? And and the other thing, you'd go to calls and we were just kind of wild west. Like you'd show up and you'd go do your thing. And then at the end of the call, we'd get back on the truck and everyone would say, hey, what did you do? What did you do? And, you know, we all kind of did our own thing. Now there's way more tracking and accountability. And I don't know, you know, it'd be interesting to do a study on that or and figure it out and try to get back some of that camaraderie. And I imagine some crews have that. I hope they do out there, but it definitely was a good thing, I think. I see people worried about getting their their um, nutrition, which, and it's good, they're healthy and we were healthy too, but they're more really concerned about nutrition. They're concerned about fitness. Those are kind of heavy priorities. And that consumes a pretty big part of part of the day anyways. And and that's serious business too, right? So that's all good. And uh, and then this maybe the cell phones or the communication stuff has something to do with it too. You know, everybody's kind of got their face stuck in a in a um, cell phone. We didn't have that type of stuff back then. We had to entertain ourselves. Yeah, like in social media now, I think is a huge. I mean, we yeah. play cards, we ping pong or whatever, and. Yeah, you, we weren't on the computer talking to some people that weren't there. I mean, we you socialized with the people you were there, and even if they weren't the great, you know, the, sometimes you have people that didn't really get along with. But you have to, you'd have to, yeah. you know, find a common grounds and everybody sort of get along. I mean, maybe you got a dud on your crew, but you still had to bring them in and and do stuff with them. Yeah, otherwise it was going to be a long year. I I think people can. Uh, they can disassociate with the rest of their crew now because of social media. We're never really attached to that crew anymore. And everybody's on guard a little bit too, because as soon as something happens, it's texted or tweeted or yeah. whatever. And, and then the whole world knows now, you know, back then you could act like a goof and, you know, and have a few laughs and stuff, but that was that. It just stayed right there. And then that was it. Do you guys remember the wrestling match at Hall 2? I um, do. I've heard about it. I wasn't yeah. there. So, so I was the captain at Hall 2 and uh, had this wrestling match and we had a ring set up and we had like what well, brought in everybody even the battalion chief was there you know, we got a bell and we're ringing everybody in if there would have been any cell phones around now we all would have been like it would have got back to the chief we yeah. would have been crucified for what we did yeah but, be careful but you're retired now so you're safe 
Yeah. Is that a coping mechanism? I don't believe so. I think it's just having fun. So the coping mechanism not for me. I think if any of us had a lot of damage, it would have been a little later on. If our damage wasn't done to us. If there was damage to come, I think we were having fun. Like when I went to work, I was on. Like there's a guy out there mowing the lawn and the tones would, when they would go off, they would hear the tone, but they couldn't hear the call. And I would run out and, and he goes, what is it? And I'd go commercial structure fire. And I'd hop on the truck and we're bombing down the road and I got my, my feet in my boots, but I never pulled my pants up. We get to the call and I take my, my feet out, put my shoes on and I still got my dress pants on and he's fully turned up with his pack clipped on and <laughs> he looks at me and I go, medical call. <laughs> yeah. I smile because every day I drove to work, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, something fun's going to happen today. That was the way I went to work. I only had one yeah. bad year in my whole career. But every other year, every day I went to work, I was like, oh, my gosh. So was that a coping mechanism then? Is that what you're saying? For me, I think I had so much fun on the job, I craved it. That's a coping mechanism mm-hmm. when you crave yeah. it. Funnest memory, your biggest laugh. Oh, definitely the funnest memory was working with you guys at Hall 1. I don't know how long I'd been on then, like maybe around that same time. But holy cow, did we ever have fun and just goofing off like children? Probably one of our street. rookies. Of course you were. Because remember when I set you up, set you up the tower, and then do. it was my joke yeah. I do on the rookies. And once he, I, we got to take the hose down, so he'd go up, and on the second or third floor in that closed room, I'd put on, turn on a, you know, those things, the water curtain, and every rookie would have to come down through it, soaking wet. And I'd laugh because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I turn it on, and I'm waiting, and the Dave doesn't show. Finally, I turn it on. And says, "Hey, you coming down?" He says, "Yeah, I'm right here." And I look beside me, and there he is. Naked except his socks. <laughs> Dave, did you leave your socks on? He said, because the floor is cold. <laughs> Hall one was a fun place because you, you you backed everyone up. Like you did, you had a lot of fires, but you also backed everyone up. So yeah. you were super busy and it was supposed to be a place where the chiefs worked and you were supposed to be super serious, but we weren't. Like we were the farthest from that. The next day we were doing that blackout drill where we had to crawl through the thing and it was all blacked out and uh like it's kind of a big deal to get in trouble from a captain right yeah, back then and right in front of him we started fighting just when he because he was blacked out he couldn't see what we were up here's a pointed question did you ever bring chickens into a fire hall we had a neighbor that moved in next to us we had little kids and they were like a newborn and a two-year-old we weren't getting our sleep this guy brought in chickens or had chickens next door he got chickens so that was fine but cute little chickens so everything's great and they've got a coop and all that right outside our bedroom window like 10 feet away so then after about i don't know how long four weeks or six weeks uh two or three of them start to turn into roosters <laughs> they're and they they're learning how to do their sound the rooster sound right and it's not like they just do it right away they just so they start doing their sound and it's not good like it's off right so they're, but they're learning. So then they keep doing it. So I asked the guy to get rid of him. I asked him three times over about six weeks and he w- just said he would, but he never did. So I was working with, knew what to do. Uh, he was from a farm and stuff. So he said, just put it in a box and they'll go totally quiet. And so I had worked it out with Hall 18 and I wasn't even working at Hall 18. I was working at Hall 13. And so I during the day I go over there and I can't catch these things. <laughs> they're just literally... They're hard to catch, right? I'm chasing them around and no one's around and I'm trying to do it quietly. The neighbor's away. I have to wait because he's not doing it. So I'm finally doing it. And I, um, so I 
you end up grabbing my fishing net and they're super easy to catch with a fishing net just so you know and uh but they make the unbelievable squawking noise so i get them and put them in the box and sure enough they go quiet and they just sit there so i drove up to hall 18 and i put one in the truck bay and then i brought one to work with me that night at hall 13 and um and so it wasn't me for the record that did it to hall six but uh, at three in the morning, we all, uh, we were actually on a call and we brought them, brought it with us because we knew we were going. And I think our Hall 18 uh, set their alarm or whatever they did and they went over there. And so they slipped a, a rooster, wasn't a chicken, into um, Hall 6. And we went to Hall 17 and we slipped ours into Hall 17. You know, and then we go back to the hall and do the rest of our shift. And um <laughs> because the phone rang and it's laughing he's going you wouldn't believe this there's shit and feathers everywhere and i guess <laughs> i guess the story is he had uh he, he calls somebody down and goes hey check this out and he throws toilet paper behind the tv nothing and he goes no just wait and he throws another one and this rooster comes flying out of there and a bit of chaos and then the other one was it's what i wanted them to do or the idea we had was they would make the rooster noise and wake everybody up at five. That was kind of the, and then that would be funny. Like that's the kind of thing we did that we thought would be funny. And it, maybe it doesn't seem as funny anymore. I don't know, but it would, and I guess it did go off in the hall and it woke them up and as well was running around the fire hall in his pink shorts or whatever he was wearing back then <laughs> and trying to catch this thing. And, and they finally got theirs out. But I guess when they go outside, they don't go away like they live there that becomes their home and so at hall 17 i guess for like two weeks every morning at like five or whenever uh -huh. it would it would wake up wake the crew up so that one i was kind of proud about <laughs> or happy with but uh i i don't what happened at hall six there so hall what's six, I, I came on shift at hall six get out of my car and start walking into the hall and a chicken was running by me what the hell was that so so we let it outside, and I said, "You mean you let it outside? <laughs> this thing's running all over." So, anyways, yeah. halfway through the day, we realized this chick is just hanging around. So, well, we got to catch it, caught <laughs> it, put it in a box, and I phoned a, a girl I used to ride with, and I said, "Hey," and she had a, her dad had a farm. And I said, "Hey, do you want a chicken out there?" And she goes, "Yeah, sure." So I phoned my wife to come pick it up, and then we took it to uh, Claire's place. But they also had a large dog that they put in with the sheep at night. And but he was on during the day, he was chained to the uh, doghouse. But the chicken would go up just at the end of the of the chain and taunt the dog all day long. That's what the chicken did. <laughs> went around and taunted this dog, and the dog couldn't get it. Well, they moved the doghouse to do some work there because we thought it was a chicken and Alma being Delmar and Delmar was dinner. So Well, I think when we were we didn't I didn't really think about after, you know, like uh, that's Surprise. that's the thing you don't think about at the time when you're doing a practical joke and it oh. just seems like a funny thing to do and anyways but, yeah okay so you were a battalion chief yeah if you went to a hall where a really good practical joke went down would you be happy i'd be involved in it <laughs> even when i was a battalion chief i was calling absolutely of course you would jokes on guys. just because you're a battalion chief doesn't mean you're very good or smart oh no no <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was at Hall 10 one night. It was like, I don't know, I don't know, 1.30 in the morning. We come back from a call assisting Hall 1. The battalion chief was there, and then they go back. So it was perfect timing. So I phone up Hall 1, 
and I won't mention the name, but there. So he answers the phone. I go, oh, hey, Lieutenant, uh, you want to play a joke on the rookie there? Is that okay? He goes, yeah, no problem. I'll watch. So <laughs> I go, put him on the phone. So he puts, the rookie comes to the phone. I go, hey, and I'm imitating the battalion chief. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that? I already know who it is. In the tower. And the, and the rookie goes, yeah, yeah, chief. And I go, do you want to bring it up to my office? And there's a big pause. And he goes, okay, chief. The lieutenant's watching these two guys haul this freaking 170-pound dummy up to the battalion chief's office. They put it in his office. And then in the morning, we get up. I phone the rookie back, and I go, you know that dummy you brought up to my office? You can come get it now. I'm done with it. <laughs> and so the battalion chief, I oh, saw two weeks later goodness. at Holiday Picks, and I'm going, hey, did the crew bring a dummy up to your office? He goes, yep. And I go, what did you say to them? And he goes, well, they brought it in there. They go, here's the dummy you asked for, chief. He goes, I did? Fondest <laughs> moment. Oh, honest moment. I think it was when I finally became an assistant chief and joined the exact staff. You know what? There's three chiefs here and one captain. The captain's the smartest guy in the group. Yeah, yeah. Actually, battalion chief is the best job in the fire department. Oh, I think so, too. Captain yeah, is pretty good. good. The thing about captain or well, battalion chief, when you retire, you retire with a crew. When you, when I had a captain, when I had a crew, my last couple of crews, great. Like, oh, two yeah. great crews. Good and, they, and they were fantastic. Once you get to the battalion chief, you don't have that association. Different, but you don't have, like, hey, your guys say, hey, you know, Hey, Cap, what do you want? Hey, Cap, what you... it's just different, you know. Yeah, you're never first yeah. in on a fire, which I missed being the battalion chief. You know, you never really get to run a fire anymore unless it's huge. The stuff yeah. I really like doing, you miss. You don't get to kick a door in because even a captain can kick a door in. And battalion chief, you don't get to do that. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. You're sort of a, it's almost yeah. too much overseeing it too much. You know, you're not really involved. And I like being involved. I really. And you know, when you retire, the assistant chief, they lose respect. They lose respect, respect for you. Only if they had oh, respect oh, for them. Yeah. You know what the funnest job in the fire service is? Assistant chief. Oh, no, no, no. no responsibilities. No. no. The end of the spear. The one that he did with, remember he talking about this new job that he got, but he had to go get a physical. It was such an important job that it was worthy of going to get a physical assessment. So Brent was talking about it and, and Brent's a good guy. He can always take a laugh. He's a good sport. He got his wife. He talked to his wife and he got his wife to phone Brent. And I think she phoned him at home or something and said, confirming your appointment tomorrow uh, at whatever time, gathered all the information so it sounded really authentic. Uh, just to let you know, you'll be required to bring a stool sample. So, of course, you know, and knowing he would have it all right and his wife would be on board. So there's Brent the next day walking into his appointment with a little bag of his stool sample in his hand showing up for, you know, just a doctor to sign something to say, yeah, you can drive a forklift, off you go. <laughs> but anyhow, so he brought the stool sample in. I, I reused banana split container. I never heard that before. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. So our union executive got these clothing yeah, bins yeah. outside all the firehouse to collect yeah. clothing so they could get money for it to raise money for the charitable. Okay. Yeah. Somebody was always um, homeless people and different were coming in and going through the bins, but they'd leave everything all over the place. And one of our captains who was very well how would you put how would you describe angry angry very angry <laughs> would get yeah, furious when these people were in there and dump it all over the place one of our firefighters dressed up as an old woman went there and started reaching in the bin and throwing stuff all over the place <laughs> hey, get the banana 
goes over there and goes to rough up this old woman in a in, in a in a dress and wig and the whole yeah. nine yards. He's scared around the life out of scruffy, her. unshaven male. Yeah. <laughs> Just imagine, eh? Do you guys remember when the guy came to the door at Hall One with a big box of flares to get rid of? Yep, we'll take care of those. So we, we had all these flares inside the fire hall at Hall One. And you guys, I know why you don't remember it. You were both off and I was going to get you guys. So one of them was a smoke flare. So I got that thing and I built a box in one of your lockers, Steve or Chris, I can't remember who, which one it was, or maybe both of you for all I know. But um, anyways, the idea was in it. It was, I screwed a um, coffee can, those big coffee cans to the back of the locker. And I set this thing up in there so that when you opened your door, um, it would pop the top off and then there would be some smoke and it would be funny. In, and uh, and that, would be, that would be it. So I was goofing around, um, setting it up, just taking a peek to, to see if it would work. And I pulled the door a little bit too far and it popped <laughs> off and it started smoking. And I, so now I'm panicking, right? So I'm and it was doing exactly what I wanted it to do. So I, I ripped it off the wall. Like I literally pulled the can and the screws and I went running outside of the truck bay and literally is a flare. Like the idea is if you'd pulled it a little harder than just popping it off, it would have worked. That thing had a flame on it, like a 12 inch flame with heavy, heavy smoke. I think it would have burnt those lockers down. It would have been incredible awesome. if you guys had actually pulled on it the era that we worked in the department that we worked in yeah. it was pretty fun and i don't know if that could ever be repeated in another fire department maybe in another era maybe we just got the best of the best and we had a ton of fun if you could you know you send people to leadership training maybe one of those courses should be having fun at work yeah you guys would be the guys to write it for sure it, i think it would be good and i think it's important it's it's definitely I think it comes from the leadership right from the very top too. So, you know, sometimes when those people aren't fun and they've got their job and it's difficult, so they get their, you know, things coming at them too. So it does feed on itself though. So it, I think it starts at the top, which can be for the firefighters on the crew, that's the captain. And then for the captains, it's the battalion chiefs or the assistant chiefs. Okay, Chris is yawning, so we're going to go. So oh, thanks. No, you Thanks for doing this. And uh, I think it's important. I, I, you know what? I'm not doing this because I don't think it's important. This was fun. I got to do a ton of editing. It's going to take me three weeks. <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I do really believe in my heart what I lived in the fire service and all of us lived was really fun. And somehow it's gone. I'd love to figure out how we get that back. So thanks for getting up at four o'clock in the morning in the UK to do this podcast. Uh, my pleasure. Okay, that wraps up another edition of Undercover Mental Health. Thanks so much for listening. Take care.